This is Garrett Tarish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Monday, December 22nd. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. You want to get involved? Go to Squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN and check out to get 10% off. That's Squarespace using the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. As usual, on this Monday podcast, I'm joined by Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini. And I want to start with this, guys. What was more impressive this weekend, Matt? Kentucky, what they did to UCLA, or Virginia, what it did to Harvard? Oh, um, good, good question to start off this Monday podcast. They don't let me run the podcast for no reason, Norlander. <laughs> I, I, I'm aware of that. Um, I think Kentucky, because it was not at a home venue, so they did it on a neutral court. Uh, I don't know who's better between UCLA or Harvard, to be honest. They're about equal, I think. I think yeah, I think, those, I think those are similar teams. Yeah. Um, and if you watch the Kentucky game, um, I mean, if you watch the Harvard game, it was impressive as well. But the Kentucky game, it was just, it was surreal to see. <laughs> I mean... Uh, there were there were genuine questions if UCLA was going to crack 30 points in that game uh, <laughs> into the second half, which is just crazy. Um, and for a program like UCLA to have endured that um, was was pretty eye opening. And, and the latest the latest showcase for Kentucky that has people believing that this team is going to go undefeated. I, I still um, don't believe that, but. Um, certainly the uh, the evidence toward that is, is getting stronger by the week. This this team is not showing significant signs of, of missteps outside of occasional halves against inferior teams like Buffalo and Columbia where it just it hasn't shown up. But, but otherwise, against the teams that matter and in second halves where they need to close it out, um, they, they continue to play uh, on an elevated level. I think I would agree with you. It's probably what Kentucky did to UCLA and, and for a couple of reasons. One... Like, even though UCLA and Harvard are comparable teams, they're not comparable programs. And so for you to be able to do that to a program like UCLA is pretty remarkable. Beyond that, certainly it registers more because Kentucky-UCLA involved, the, you know, Kentucky and the top-ranked team in the country. And it was on Saturday on CBS as opposed to, you know, Sunday against Harvard, fighting for attention with the NFL – Right. Um, it just for a lot of reasons, that whole Kentucky UCLA thing, I mean, that'll be one, that'll be a regular season result. Like even just casual basketball fans remember for a long, long time, Sam, what did you make of what Kentucky was able to do to UCLA? I, when I wrote about night court on Saturday afternoon, I was just still shell shocked. I called it the best. Def- that first half was the best defensive performance. I think I've ever seen against like a high major opponent like UCLA is like, that's, that's probably a tournament team that they just allowed to score seven points and a half. That's unbelievable to me. I do think that that's a little bit more impressive than what Virginia did, not only from the standpoint of UCLA being a team that has multiple professionals on their team and Norman Powell and Kevon Looney, but Harvard doesn't really have a good matchup against Virginia. They're like a slashing team. They don't shoot a lot of threes. That's typically how you beat the pack line that Virginia runs. And Virginia this year is just so well disciplined that you're not going to be able to get into those gaps against the pack line if you want to slash with guys like Sione Chambers, Wesley Saunders. So I didn't really think Harvard had a very good chance to beat Virginia to begin with. And I didn't think UCLA had a chance to beat Kentucky either. But I think thought that there was a chance that Virginia was going to hold Harvard to like a low point total. 27 points, I don't think that anyone expected that. But I thought that there was a chance they would kind of put it on them a little bit. It's interesting you said like you think UCLA is an NCAA tournament team. I think they probably are too. I mean, they're certainly going to be, I, I don't want to say certainly, that's probably the wrong word, but they're probably going to be in contention uh, for an at-large bid, I would think, by March. Um, think about it in these terms. Um Two things I, I, uh, stand out to me. One is, it's December 22nd, and for the second time this season, we're talking about Kentucky doing something we've never really seen done in the regular season. Like what they did to Kansas in the Champions Classic, we were like, my God, that's the most impressive thing I've seen somebody do to a high major program like a Kansas, maybe in forever. And then here we are roughly a month later, and we're having the same conversation. They just did it to somebody else. And so that, to me, suggests there's nothing fluky about what's going on. I mean, this is a uniquely gifted roster. Secondly... 
Um, we see one seeds play 16s every single year in the NCAA tournament. That's 16s. Like, if you're an at-large in uh, uh, in the field of 68, you're an 11, 12. I mean, you're somewhere in there. You're a totally different caliber of team. I guess my point is we don't see ones do this to 16s in the NCAA tournament, and Kentucky's doing it to, you know, in Kansas's case, a team that could end up in the Final Four, and in UCLA's case, a case that uh, a team that we we all think could end up in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Matt, it's, it it I, I'm still on board with you. I, I I'm not you know I wouldn't bet a hundred thousand dollars they're going undefeated, but but my God, I I I certainly understand why somebody thinks they might. Yeah, we will uh, a week from today. We will, I guess, have to seriously start talking about if that's going to happen because, in theory, Kentucky's toughest game is is five days out uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday when they play Louisville at Louisville, and that you would think will be the toughest game that they have to play the entire season. Uh, Louisville will have Montrezl Harrell. I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. Um, Right now, on Ken Palm, Kentucky is favored to win that game, by the way, yeah. uh, at, at Louisville. That was not the case like six days ago because someone gave me some grief and I looked it up and it was 52% Louisville to win that. Now it's at 56 for Kentucky. Um, you win that and, okay, then we'll, then we'll start looking. Because, I mean, that's their last non-league game and the SEC is obviously just, uh, I mean, it's, it's a hot bowl of grease. So, um We'll we'll see what comes of it. Uh, thankfully, listen. I, thankfully, Montrose Harrell didn't do something totally stupid and actually like connect on a punch that knocked a guy out, and he would have been suspended multiple games because then Kentucky Louisville is, isn't much of a watch. But as it was, he got into that skirmish against Western Kentucky, and uh, he'll just sit one game for the ACC. Thank God for Cal State Northridge existing. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I think I like a lot of people when they saw that happen. And like, and you saw like what Harold did, and you're like, he'll probably get suspended, and now he's going to miss the Kentucky because because it was so close, the game was so close. I didn't think Louisville had another one before yeah. you. Yeah, anyway, thank God they have another one. Um, let's let's go back to Kentucky real quickly, and then I do want to get to Montrez Harold. So you mentioned they're they're now a 56, the Wildcats percent favorite to win at Louisville. That hasn't always been the case. If they get through that one again, according to Ken Palm, take it for what it's worth. Um, but these are the numbers that we operate in consistently. Um, they're at least a 74% favorite to win every other game the rest of the year, and and and, and at least an 82% favorite to win every game the, on their schedule remaining, except for at Florida. At Florida is the one that we're 74. So uh, these percentages, you know, I, I think casual basketball fans start talking about undefeated seasons, you know, hell, in the preseason usually, and the percentages of it are always like less than 1% or 1.4%. I mean, it's always minuscule. Well, now at Kentucky, it's it's 11.5%. And what, you know, if they get past Louisville, it'll jump considerably. And so um, I do think if we're sitting here next Monday and we're talking about a Kentucky team that's 13-0, then I, I, I think it starts to become a, a real conversation. I, I do believe that they'll just slip up the way teams slip up somewhere on the road that you're not expecting it. Um, like at South Carolina or something like you know it'll it'll be one of those. Um, yeah. Assuming that they get past Louisville, that breaks the the streak. But it, it's it's a reasonable thing to talk about at this point because um, they look they just look completely overwhelming. Uh, we mentioned Montrez Harrell uh, involved in an incident first half against Western Kentucky um, was ejected from the game, but it wasn't clear immediately if he would be suspended. Additionally, we found out yesterday. Uh, courtesy of the ACC office, Montrose Hill has been suspended for one game against uh, Cal State Northridge. That's Tuesday night. He'll miss it. He'll be back in uniform uh, on Saturday for the showdown in Louisville with the top-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. Sam, in your mind, any doubt that Montrose Harrell should have been suspended for a game? Um, not, I don't think so. Here's the thing. like The game is so inconsequential as it is. I don't really have a problem with the ACC suspending him for a game. Like, Had this been – had there been no – Cal State Northridge game in the middle there and it would have been straight to Kentucky I might have had a problem just as a <laughs> basketball fan um he he didn't make contact like you said he made a like very accidental contact with an, an official which I think more got him tossed than the actual punch that he threw because he got tossed for a flagrant two as opposed for fighting so my assumption was kind of that the contact with the officials what got him um, I would have been pretty upset in that case, but 
given that it's Cal State Northridge, I don't. It, the punishment fits the crime, I guess. I think. I, the, I, th- I agree with that. The punishment yeah. fits the crime. I got no issue. I don't even think Rick Pitino is going to stand up and say he has an issue with it. Here's my question, Matt: If Kentucky were the nope. next game, nope. would the ACC have had the you know what nope. to do this? No shot. No shot either. No shot. I, don't I mean, think so either. I, if if that had happened. Uh, you know, we'd be leading it with the podcast and it would be, uh, like, you know, a, a pretty, um, genuine, uh, portion of outrage coming from Louisville. Um, maybe even from Kentucky fans that want to just beat the tar out of the Cardinals at full strength, but I just don't see <laughs> how that it, it wasn't, it wasn't so obviously, um, egregious that you would have like if he had like again if he had either really you know accidentally gotten a ref to a huge degree or if he had landed a fist on the jaw of a western kentucky player and and knocked him clean cold out then you got no argument this one is kind of floating in the gray and you know but no if it was kentucky i I don't think that would have been the case i think it's in the gray i think it should be a suspension I think because Cal State Northridge is the game that he can serve, it was it is a suspension. I don't think there's any scenario where if this happened, say, against Cal State Northridge on Tuesday, and then the ACC had to make a decision to either um, okay let it go or or remove Montrezl Harrell from the Kentucky game. I don't I don't think he would have gotten a one case suspension. I do uh, one game suspension. I do genuinely believe. Um, that this is related. It's it's con- it's a it's convenient given the schedule. It allows the ACC to to I don't want to say pretend because I don't know that there's any pretending. It allows the ACC to do what it ought to do without putting that league in a really tough situation to try to remove the star player from a you know premier team in what might be the biggest regular season game of the year. But let's start there. Um, is it? Is it, Sam? Is this the biggest regular season game of the year? Yeah, I think it is. You've got two of the top three defenses in the country going up against each other. You've got two of the top four players in the country so far, and Harrell and Willie Cauley-Stein going sure. up against each other, and they should match up against each other in that game too, which is just going to be an, a really fascinating matchup in general for Harrell because he's – a bit undersized. Uh, Draft Express actually has him at six six and three quarters, so it'll be interesting to see if he can actually be effective against someone that is as quick as he is, but just considerably bigger for his NBA draft prospects. Um, Let me stop you right there, Sam. You you yeah, do sure. handle a lot of NBA draft stuff for us. Um, is is the idea that let's say let's just say six seven that Montrezl Harrell six seven does that concern you at all in terms of uh, NBA draft stuff? It does. Um, I was really excited earlier this season whenever he was like shooting threes. Yeah, no, that, um, that lasted like Minnesota. two games. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, he's like legitimately going to be able to, you know, be a stretch four in the NBA. And he's absolutely a four. I don't think you want to move him to the three. Um, I think it limits his upside, basically, if he's a legit six, seven still. I think that you're looking at a guy who could be like an energy player, like a Kenneth Freed, versus a guy who could be like a very good, like very high-end, I don't know if star is the case, but like high-end starter, for instance. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. I um, I, I think it limits what he might be able to be, but like I wouldn't hesitate. Put that dude on my NBA roster. Somebody yeah, absolutely. Like, I think he's a lottery guy. Yeah. If you're telling me that you're getting basically uh, a, a kind of three proxy, right? Like, by all means, I mean, Fareed went – I was at that draft. He did not go lottery. He was early. He was in the 20s, yeah. Yeah, and, like, to be honest, like, when you see what he's become, like, he should have been a top 10 pick. Right. Like, you know, I, even though he's, he, his game is what it is, I mean, the stuff he does well is, is, so, is so good. Um, I, I would certainly take Harrell in that regard. And, and, by the way, you know, Harrell, I'll be interested to see how he approaches this game. I w- you know, I spoke with him specifically, and he wasn't afraid to, to talk about the Kentucky game two weeks removed from it, you know, back at the Garden um, when Louisville played Indiana and I was there and he, he spoke on record about Kentucky and not being afraid of them and, you know, really being eager for that game and kind of wanting to, uh, to atone for, he has not played well in this series, uh, since he's gotten to Louisville for the most part. Um, he's been hampered by some foul trouble, um, and just really has not been the player that he's capable of being. So this is, you know, he's going to go in the draft after this year. So this is his last chance to prove that. And now he's going to be coming off a one game suspension where you know the last time he stepped on a court he was he was you know tossing an elbow or a, or a punch or whatnot he's going to be going up against the best talent he'll see all season 
Louisville's going to need him to have an absolutely tremendous game. So, I, you know, is, are his emotions going to be in check? Is, is past performance or is his suspension going to be in his head? I just want to see how he reacts because if he has a dud, then I won't. I wouldn't think Louisville really has any much of it. Like, I, if he does not play well, if you're telling me Harrell has foul trouble for most of the game, scores eleven, grabs six rebounds, has you know four fouls, I'm telling you, I think Kentucky wins by twenty at Louisville. I can't wait. Like, I'm uh, I'm vacationing with the family this week in in Colorado, and then flying straight from here. Uh, like they're taking one flight home, and I'm taking another, going to Louisville uh, mm-hmm. for for the weekend. It's it's gonna. Um, it, it should be terrific, a terrific atmosphere, and then a terrific, uh, hopefully a terrific basketball game. A bigger surprise, Matt, in terms of Ken Palm rankings uh, in this week of Christmas. Baylor at 13, Maryland at 21, Minnesota at 22, or Oklahoma State at 23? Oh, jeez. Um, uh, all, right, all right, so in terms of ranking, um, Baylor. But in terms of performance this season, uh, we can give Maryland a little bit of love here. I mean, they're eleven and one. Um, got a nice win uh, at Oklahoma State on Sunday, which is you know not terrific, but Oklahoma State's been better than people thought. So now Maryland's got wins over Arizona State, Iowa State, um, and Oklahoma State. Their only loss is to undefeated Virginia. The Terrapins are probably going to be putting themselves in a nice position as long as they can you know, get to the Big Ten and win the games they should win, which, by the way, I don't even know what that means anymore because <laughs> you've got, uh, I mean, you've got Michigan State falling to Texas Southern, um, which is even worse than the NJIT loss that and to, that Michigan had and, and Michigan's just, just careening off the highway here. So the point I'm making is Maryland could be in a situation where when you see what it's done so far, it's proving to have a pretty good offense. Mellow Trimble might even crack my top five freshmen when I update that on CBSSports.com Tuesday. Why can't the Terrapins be a top three team in the Big Ten? It sounds outrageous. Oh, to God, anybody can be a top three yeah. team in the Big no, Ten. No, it's this just, year. it's, the league has become something weird. And, uh, and props to Maryland and, and Turgeon, who needed a season yes. like this to kind of stabilize himself in that program. I like it when guys who, quote, need a season like this to sort of settle things and shut people up actually have seasons like this. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, listen, it's our job to write about this stuff and talk about this stuff. I'm not down with people. I, I'm not down with, like, what, like cheering for people to get fired. I mean, can you imagine having a job where where people were publicly cheering for you to get fired from it? We, we kind of do if I you know, just go about Twitter. No, 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 I mean, <laughs> yes, I, this is a totally different thing. I yeah. know we do, but it's, it's, it's certainly a different level. And so you see Turge having that this year. Looks like Tom Crean might be having that right now. And another one that I don't know that he was in any trouble, but certainly the program had dipped. And now it seems to be uh, heading in the right direction is, is Lorenzo Romar at Washington. I mean, they're 10-0 and 0 right now. And um, they've got wins over UTEP, over San Diego State, over Oklahoma, uh, over Long Beach State. I mean, it, it is some, uh, in terms of the guys who, quote, needed, you know, high-profile guys who, who maybe just needed a season to settle things, most of them, I, I, I'm, I'm operating off the top of my head right now, but they seem to kind of be having them, right? I think, I mean, I'm thinking about, like, I did the... Even did the Tom hot- Crean. Yeah, that's what yeah. I said. We got Crean at Indiana. Yeah. I mean, I did the hot seat stuff in the preseason, and, and yes... For the most part, we're we're seeing a lot of guys that needed to have good starts have yeah. them. Um, I'm not Kevin really sure. Willard at Seton Hall too. Yeah, Willard, absolutely. I mean, there there have been a few programs here. If you wanted to say Lavin, how about Travis Travis Ford at Oklahoma State? Ford's Lavin yep. and St. John's are nine yes. and one. That's that's been off to a good start. Um, Arkansas is eight and two. I mean, we, really, the guys that needed to win have won for the most part um, more often than than not. And it's created a scenario here where I think that people that might enjoy college basketball, even enough to listen to this podcast, but really aren't, you know, just paying attention to the the day-to-day stuff, they might look up in the middle of January and, and see a Jerry Palm mock bracket where Seton Hall is a five seed and go, what the hell is going on? I think we're just <laughs> at a lot of teams like this that haven't lost bad games. And because there have been other teams, like I'm telling you, I think Michigan State's going to get to the tournament. But if they win every other game they're supposed to win the rest of the way and lose the ones they are, that Texas Southern one's going to cost them two seed lines. That is such an awful loss. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tremendously damaging. So when you've got teams like Seton Hall and St. John's that haven't lost those bad games to this point, and if they're able to keep that up, by, by mere, and GP, I know you do this a lot with, um, 
with your top 25 and one, and it's why, what was the team that people were giving you grief over? I'm blanking on them. Oh, God, it's every day. St. John's, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, St. Well, John's was certainly one of them. And Miami doesn't have a bad loss or something like that. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, um, by pure nature of that, we're just going to have teams come late January or fe- early February in projections that are going to have solid seeds, and you're going to be like, what? And it's just because we've had a lot of weird losses from a lot of teams so far this year. I think we just discovered mm-hmm. that for the first time in college basketball history, there is no hot seat at this moment. <laughs> Nobody's on the hot seat. Even yes. a- even Anthony Grant, I know Alabama fans are going to hear this and hit me with that. Like, you look at their three losses, and I, it's, it's Iowa State, um, Wichita State, and Xavier, I think. So, like, listen, they don't have any good wins. They don't have any bad losses either. So, I don't yeah. know. That's, it's just sort of interesting that, you know, there were uh, some some fairly high-profile guys who needed to get off to good starts, like Sam said. And uh, it looks like, uh, at least so far, through December 22nd, for the most part, they've been able to do it. Remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface and including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages, and Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts at just eight bucks a month. That includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look great on every device, every time. Start a free trial with no credit card required, and get to building your website today. Just go to squarespace.com and make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Eye on College Basketball podcast. At Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. All right, let's go to some news and notes presented by uh, Squarespace. And let's start with one that uh, we touched on briefly, but I think does deserve a little more attention. Brandon Dawson is hurt. I get it. But any five dudes on a scholarship at Michigan State Ought to be able to handle Texas Southern, right? Yeah, you would think so. The The SWAC has been outside of the Great West, which was just an abomination of, an, of a conference that they put together for four years. It was basically all over the country. It wasn't even a West Coast conference. The SWAC has been the worst conference in America going back to 2004. They've had four teams in the top 200 of Ken Palm, and Texas Southern went to Michigan State and won. Right. That's absolutely incredible. And I'll tell you what, Mike Davis deserves a whole hell of a lot of credit. And I'm glad that he picked up one of these wins because he scheduled like a madman this offseason. They played a 7 a.m. road game against Eastern Washington. He went to Indiana, to Tennessee, to SMU, to Baylor, to Florida, to Gonzaga, to Michigan State, and to Kansas State. If that guy doesn't deserve a win, I mean, that guy... Yeah, one, 16 of the first 17 games that Texas Southern plays are on the road, and that's almost by necessity because yeah. programs like that need the buy games to just continue to have money for the program to be, even be able to, to operate. Um, but, you no, know, absolutely. Getting a win like this, I mean, there have been a couple of, you know, Mike Davis is, is kind of, you know, still on the grind and, and sort of this rebirth story. His program has been ineligible to make the tournament a couple of years just because of APR stuff. Um, in fact, it was either last year or the year before, he kind of had the best team in the league, but it was not eligible to make the tournament. Mm-hmm. win like this really just reminds people of, to a certain extent, you know, Indiana fans weren't happy with him, but he kind of got a raw deal there. Um, I mean, the guy, the guy, like, followed Bob Knight and made a national title game. Like, I, I, say what you will about maybe him inheriting some players or whatever in that program. It's, it's kind of remarkable. And for him to get a win like this, the last time a SWAC team won on the road at a Big Ten program came in 95 cool. at Minnesota and actually was Texas Southern. But that might have been, I did some research, that might have been the only other time that's ever happened, period. A SWAC team in a Big Ten arena getting a win. Uh, and that Texas Southern team was actually fairly good that year. So um, huge and, and certainly one of the worst losses of Izzo's career. No excuse that they didn't have Dawson. You can't be. And the, the crazy thing is like, Michigan State should have lost in regulation. They get it to overtime, and, and I also kind of theorize, like, how often has a team that was ranked, had a home game, gotten overtime against a team, like, Texas Southern was 1-8. They had a 1-11 win percentage. Like, I doubt that's ever happened, like, that a team has lost that kind of game. Usually, if, if you're struggling and you get to the OT, you're able to pull it out. Not here, and as I said, Michigan State's going to pay for it. Dawson should be back. Hopefully in the next two games for Michigan State because they need him for for as much as he can't truly be like 
an alpha on offense in every kind of way. He is their best overall player, and uh, he's worth a lot to them. Tom Izzo does not miss the NCAA tournament. Is he at risk of doing it this year, Sam? I thought he was before the season. Um, I didn't think that this Michigan State team was very good offensively, but they've kind of put it together on offense, and it depends on how long Dawson's out, I guess, as far as whether or not they can make the tournament. I, like He's supposed to come back in the next couple weeks, I think, and it just depends on if that injury lingers into Big Ten play because they have, a, they have kind of that murky schedule that could go either way to start the year in the Big Ten. They have Maryland, Indiana, Iowa to start the year, and those three are like probable tournament teams, I guess, but it wouldn't surprise me if two of the three missed the tournament either. Uh, so those, if they lose those three games, it could end up looking pretty bad. So I don't, I don't know right now. I think that there's definitely potential that they could miss the tournament, but I would still put them on the right side of the bubble. I think I'd put them on the right side of the bubble, but I mean, this is true. It's December 22nd. They don't have any top 100 wins against Ken Palm opponents. Um, they, you know, the, the three, three of the uh, losses are fine. I mean, it's Duke, Kansas, Notre Dame. What are you going to do? One of the Notre Dame one is... Uh, in OT on the road again. Nothing wrong with the resume. Yeah, that's a good point. That's what I'm kind of going at, GP. Here, so I didn't see. I didn't even realize that. Okay, like I knew they'd struggled, but I didn't realize they lacked a top 100 opponent. So now we're in a situation where, if you know, they could get to mid January, drop another two or three games, and when we're going to stack them up against other teams, if they've only got two top 100 wins, that might you know. In a year like this, that might barely be enough to squeak them in at the moment. But right now, if you if you are making a field right now, Michigan State, you couldn't put them in. Well, they they don't have any wins now. Some of that's just a result of the schedule. They played what anybody would call um, three quality opponents to date, and the three quality opponents were Duke, which is awesome, Kansas, which seems to be awesome, and Notre Dame on the road, which is you know you're at risk there. I don't care how good you are, and so um, they've only they only played three big you know. I mean, Marquette's a big-name team, but Marquette's not very good. I mean, they're outside of the top 100 at Ken Palm. So they played three big, you know, quality opponents, and those three games were all games they were supposed to lose. So uh, I don't know that you'd necessarily say, well, they, they haven't beaten anybody. Well, they hadn't played anybody of quality that they were actually supposed to beat, if that makes sense. Um, but the Texas Southern thing is obviously concerning, although I think fluky as well. Um, but, like, you know, they got the Citadel um, tonight. And then it's, um, you know, all through Christmas. But then Big Ten play starts. Maryland, Indiana, Iowa, Northwestern, Maryland. Let's see how that goes. But um, I don't think it's a sure thing. Typically, Tom Izzo is a sure thing. I don't know if Michigan State's a sure thing uh, this year. Meantime, uh, Cincinnati had to play VCU over the weekend without Mick Cronin. It was announced just before tip um, that he um, is uh, sidelined indefinitely with an unruptured aneurysm. First question, either of you ever heard of an unruptured aneurysm? No. Um, Let me tell you my biggest problem with unruptured, unruptured aneurysms. Besides the fact that they're um, dangerous. Um, spell check screws that up every time. Oh, God. It turns, I tried to type it like three times and night court and failed miserably. Turns really? it, into, it turns it into enraptured aneurysm. <laughs> every single time <laughs> every, so like I, I i think i posted three different stories over the weekend that said enraptured uh aneurysm and then had to go back and fix it so i'm i'm fundamentally against unruptured aneurysms strictly <laughs> because they they tend to become enraptured uh aneurysms in print but uh all jokes aside like god that's scary right that is listen uh, I, i've got a few i've got a few fears in this world gentlemen one of them is like the fact of the matter is like every day somewhere in this world, somebody dies because lots of people die just because an aneurysm happens out of nowhere. Like you can just die from a brain aneurysm like that. doesn't matter how healthy you are, how young, how old you are. It's just one of those things where the brain can, you know, have a misfire malfunction. So I don't want to die like that. Um, and thank God Mick Cronin is okay. Uh, I still don't really understand how you can have an unruptured aneurysm Hopefully he will be healthy soon. You know, Cronin is a guy who um, has really, in the big picture, done some really nice things with the Cincinnati program. And I know you talked about that um, with Mike DeCourcy on a recent podcast, GP. Uh, but I, also part of his charm and entertainment value is he's a small man that can get really ticked off, and that's got some entertainment value in games. But if um, if that if that anger has any sort of uh, 
connection, you know, if, if he gets stressed to these levels where it's actually having an impact uh, and on him in that way, then, you know, let's, let's end that and get him healthy soon. Hopefully the sooner the better. Um, but at least he's, he's good. No one saw this coming. It was just, you know, it was released over the weekend by Cincinnati that, Hey, our head coach isn't going to be able to coach today. And, and maybe not for the foreseeable future because, uh, yeah, there was an issue with his brain. So hopefully he's better soon. But again, aneurysms, absolutely terrifying. Thank you, Dr. Norlander. I, um, I, I do think the lead of that story was sort of buried in the release from Cincinnati because initially, you know, all, it's, all you heard was, you know, hey, Mick Cronin's not coaching today. Uh, unruptured aneurysm. Like, I don't know anything about an unruptured aneurysm. So, like, if you say so-and-so's not playing today, torn ACL, I kind of know what that means, out for the season. But if you say, like, mm. unruptured aneurysm, I'm like, I don't know what an unruptured aneurysm is, except it's, except every time I type it, it becomes enraptured. And so I'd start Googling and stuff. But then a little ways down in the release, toward the end, it says um, is going to um, endure further testing, which is obvious, and will not return until the results of that testing have been whatever. And so like, this seems to me like a process, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know, like I've had to have tests run before and uh, one of my children has had to have tests run before. And I, I suppose maybe it, it can be expedited when you're dealing with a high major basketball coach um, at the UC medical center. Um, I, like, it's not like you go in Monday and like all, every, we got it all figured out by Monday afternoon, is it? I mean, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like this is going to, um, it, it could be more than just one or two games. I, again, I'm totally yeah. guessing here. I'm not a doctor and I'm, I'm certainly not privy to, to, to what is, is, is going on with Mick as we speak right now. But it, it you know, it seems like this is going to be more than just, Hey, missed the VCU game. Now he's back. It seems like it's, they've got to be a little more thorough with this and a lot more careful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. As someone that is still luckily young enough to have never had to like have tests like this, this is like absolutely terrifying to me that sure. like there can be something like an unruptured aneurysm. They basically built an entire television show six feet under around like the fact that the main character's brain could start bleeding at any time. And that's just like absolutely yeah, terrifying I'm to me. I'm in season two of that right now, actually. I'm about to finish season two. Good show, by the way. Yeah, it's one of my favorite shows ever. It's a great show. It's just like... The first thing that we absolutely have to care about is Mick Cronin here. Um, he's, it's just terrifying to me that something like this could happen. Um, but second, I don't know what this means for Cincinnati going forward. Um, they're a bubble team that has lost two of their three big games, three of their four big games, if you want to count the Mississippi loss in there. Um, and they're probably in the same boat as every other AAC team and that they have to really, really – role in conference play to have a shot at an at, an at large bid. So I don't, I don't know where this is going to leave them. Another interesting development for the weekend, to the extent that it was a development at all, it was really nothing more than former Bartlett coach Brad Stevens talking publicly about um, speculation that he will replace Tom Crean at Indiana. He, Brad basically said, listen, I'm in this for the long haul. I want to be the Celtics coach. I have no interest in, in, in doing anything other than this. I'm going to be here as long as they'll have me. And, um, you know, I've, I've already had to leave one place once, and that was very, very difficult. And I, why would I want to do it again so quickly and, and, unless I'm asked to do it again? And, and what, I, what I gathered from that what, what is honestly the same thing I'd already been told, you know, the same thing I already understood, but to hear it. Brad say it publicly, I, I think was um, was interesting, and that said he would rather be an NBA coach than a college coach. Like he's not one of those guys dying to get back to college. He want he now ultimately you you take the best job you can get, and there might be a day someday where the best job he can get is back in college because the whole NBA thing's run its course. It didn't work out in Boston. Can't get another shot somewhere else. Uh, obviously, he can get a shot in college whenever he wants. So then he'll be back in college. But but given a choice. Um, he wants to be an NBA coach, and he made that clear over the weekend, while also 
um, saying Tom Crean doesn't deserve this either. Like, you know, can you imagine what it's like to, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what he said, you know, the job's hard enough to, to have people yelling Brad Stevens at you while you're trying to do a job in the moment and have your kids hear this every day. And, and I don't mean your, your actual kids, but hell, let's go ahead and throw them in there too. Your actual kids, your wife, everybody else. It's just, um, th that's a hard way to live. He doesn't deserve it. And Indiana fans should, should rally about around the coach that's got a team off to a pretty good start right now as opposed to keep dreaming that I'm leaving the Boston Celtics to come coach the Hoosiers because um, I'm not. And uh, again, that was all me paraphrasing, but that, that's the point. And um, you know, so, so basically where we're at is unless the Celtics fire Brad Stevens after this year, um, Brad Stevens is going to, he's going to get a third year at, in Boston at least. And my understanding is though, it's not going well, like especially yesterday, they ended up being favorites in Miami because like the entire heat roster is injured or sick or something. And they still lost by like 14, 16 points. So, um, I've talked to some people around that Celtics franchise who say, yeah, you know, the fans are starting, Danny believes in Danny Ainge believes in Brad, but the fans are starting to go, Hey, come on, man. Like, you know, they've blown a bunch of fourth quarter leads this year. Um, hey, let's win some games. We're not trying to win championships, but we could do better than what we're doing. But still, my understanding is that Danny is committed to Brad long term, and that at least means through this season. And if Brad Stevens isn't going to get fired at Boston after this year, then he's on record. And I do believe him to be. I believe what he said to be true. He ain't leaving Boston and all that money. If if nothing else, the money, but certainly the the Celtics' job as well. And so it's all a moot point. And if it's all a moot point. I thought it was probably pretty cool of Brad to come out and try to do that, you know? Yeah, the uh, it's interesting how Celtics fans are maybe feeling like Indiana fans right now and just I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they want, okay, so the, let's let's break it down. The, the Indiana fans want Indiana to fire Tom Crean to hire Brad Stevens. Celtics fans want Celtics to hi fire Brad Stevens so they can get I don't even know who George Carls. But <laughs> yeah, definitely a good thing by Brad. I mean. Yeah, let's. I mean, Brad Stevens is like 110 games into his pro career. I don't think there's any situation where he gets fired at the end of the year. Uh, Ainge likes him too much. It's a six-year deal. Um, they traded. They had the Rondo trade, so they're they're definitely in a mode where it's definitively, you know, tangentially, you know, a transitional part here. You know, now they get to see what they do with that trade and what they'll do with the upcoming draft. And Stevens really gets a good crack at it in year three. And I would argue, unless they absolutely are a bottom three team at the end of next season, he'll probably get a fourth year. I've always felt that Stevens would have minimally four years just based off of what Ainge felt he des you know, he deserved and, and would give Stevens in terms of a chance. And overall, I thought Stevens would have enough success that he would warrant uh, four years. So Indiana fans, I don't think all of them are against Cream, but there's certainly a, a heavy portion of them. At this point, they're just not nearly satisfied and maybe some of them have changed their tune with how IU has performed this year I don't know but they need to get off this Brad Stevens is coming to Indiana I mean it's it's not going to happen the best case scenario for them if they ever wanted that to happen it's like six years away and in the perfect where Stevens got a little bit of success Indiana hired another coach to follow Crean. That coach failed, and then it dovetailed. Like, that's the only way you're getting Stevens, and I, I don't even think that's going to happen. I, I don't think that things are going to play out that way. So they really got him past this, and it was, yes, it was very um, nice of Brad because, one, Brad doesn't even want to have – he does not want to talk about this stuff, but it's, it got to a point where he knew that he had to say something because ultimately it's just not fair to Crean – to, and I listen, I was at, the, as I said, I was at the Indiana Louisville game. Like I'm, I heard a few different fans just, you know, there'd be a dead moment in the, in the arena and you just hear Brad Stevens. Like you would just constantly hear this. And, um, and I, Crean's got to be just so annoyed by it at this point. Um, and rightfully so. And fans would just counter with that and be like, well, you know what? We're Indiana. We should not have such a sub 500 record in conference play. Um, yes, he had a couple of rebuilding years after Kelvin Sampson, but uh, we've long moved past that. We should consistently be a top 10 program. Hasn't worked out to that point, but right now, Crean's fairly safe. I still think he'll be gone if they crater and don't make the NCAA tournament, but ultimately, you know, this discussion is about if Indiana fans think they're getting Brad Stevens, it's just, it's not, it's, you got to get off that. Like, I, I think Harbaugh to Michigan is way more likely if you want to talk about fan bases pining for a coach. And even that, NFL people think like, 
There's no chance that happens. Well, yeah. Well, even like Harbaugh, it's clear he's going to need a new job next year. But no, it'll yeah. probably be an NFL job. But he's going to need a new job. Whereas Brad's mm-hmm. not going to need a new job next year. And I think you're exactly right to wrap this up. Um, I'm not ruling out the idea that Brad Stevens will coach Indiana someday. It just ain't going to be next year because um, he's going to be coaching the Boston Celtics next year. And who's to say that um, he doesn't get that rolling in Boston? Because they have, I believe, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, 74 first-round picks in the next three years. And so, <laughs> that seems accurate, yeah. And so um, who's to say they can't hit on one or two of them and get the thing turned around pretty quickly? God knows it ain't that hard to get it turned around in the East. And then even if he doesn't, Sometimes, like, ultimately, like, if you just keep losing in the NBA, you get fired. I don't care what the reasons are. Like, you can say we inherited a mess, we're totally rebuilding, we traded Rondo. But, like, you go four straight years of losing in Boston, no playoff, then you're going to get fired. You just are. So, but one thing I think is important to stress is that sometimes guys get jobs and they're losing and you look at him and you go, okay, this guy's losing. And the reason is because he's in over his head. Like, he's just not built for this. And we we, 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 we misevaluated his skill set, but he can't do this. Sometimes they're just losing because anybody would lose. You know, like, we've seen Larry Brown win a world championship in the NBA. And Larry Brown had the worst record in the NBA. It's all, it's all roster uh, 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 induced. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I guess my point is this. With Brad... I don't care whether you talk to the people with the Celtics or you talk to other people around the league. They will all tell you he's good. Like, he's mm-hmm. good. The scouts will tell you. And not just Celtic scouts. The scouts around the league. He's good. And so to the extent that he's losing, he's not losing because he's in over his head or because he's not cut out for it. And really, I, I don't think the people that matter have lost any confidence in him whatsoever. He's just losing because of the roster. Now, I, I, do, I do think frustration is starting to set in a little, like yesterday. Like, hey, why can't you win that game against a bunch of Miami Heat reserves? But still, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, even if the Celtics thing doesn't work out, he's got a pretty good reputation in the NBA I don't know that he couldn't get another job somewhere else in the NBA. And I'm my understanding, uh, again, is that he would prefer to be a professional coach as opposed to a college coach. We'll see. All right. Well, I've kept Matt and Sam here uh, long enough, kept you guys here long enough. So let's get out of here. But uh, not before I thank you for listening. You're very kind to do that. And remember, you can always subscribe. Uh, to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast, so make sure you do that. By the way, I'm not going to do a Thursday podcast this week because Thursday is Christmas, and if I try to record a podcast rather than hang with my family on Christmas morning, I will no longer have a family. And so no new podcast (laughs) until... I got got a question for you here. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I need, so you're in Colorado. Sure. Uh, I'm in Montrose. We um we flew into Montrose yesterday. Um, uh, Kelly has um, family here, some in-laws here. And uh, we stayed with them last night just to like visit with family. It's her grandfather's here. And um, then we are driving uh, this afternoon down to Telluride, the ski resort there. And we're going to spend the next four nights in Telluride at this, you know, like it seems to be nice uh, a ski resort and just spend yeah, Christmas together it's, there. It's an incredible ski resort, GP. Don't play it down. Um, so <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but it, it looks unbelievable. <laughs> yes. yes it, it, apparently, like, and you got to, I, I remember hearing, like, you got to drink a, an unusual amount of water. I will, I will, oh, that's not, I thought you were saying something else. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. because of the elevation there, like, there's there's something weird about, like, when you're in Telluride, if you're there for, like, an extended amount of time, like, you got to either, like, eat a certain kind of food or drink a, certain, drink a lot of water just to keep your body balanced or something. But anyway, my question is, so you're doing this, mm-hmm. what about the Christmas gifts? Did you have to bring them on the plane, or how does that work? Okay, well, so we have an 11-year-old and a 1-year-old. Like, Oliver's birthday is uh, is actually December 27th, right? So he doesn't know anything about presents. We don't have to worry about him. Um, we, didn't, we, we didn't get my one-year-old Jack. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, he doesn't need anything. Like, he'll be in a ski resort, uh, you know, for his first birthday. Like, he's fine. So, um, uh, Aiden, it's a little more complicated, but, um, you know, it's sort of on that... Uh, we're on that edge of everything where it's not real sure where, where his mind's at in terms of Santa Claus and everything these days, you know? Um, he is He is... Um, expressed concern that maybe Santa Claus won't be able to find us if we're not at home, but we don't know if it's a, as uh, um, enough concern to like rearrange actual plans and like not do what we wanted to do. And so we've just, um, you know, listen, once you start telling Santa Claus stories, I think you can tell them in a variety of ways. And one of them could be Santa Claus can find you anywhere. And so the neat thing with him is that 
Um, he doesn't want, um, he's not a toys kid anymore. He, he's totally like an electronics guy. Like he, you know, he's Xbox One, he's um, iPad, he's iPad Mini, he's iPhone, he's uh, iTunes cards. Like, if you want to make him, like, cry tears of joy, just hand him, like, a $25 iTunes card. Like, th these are the things he cares about. And so, in terms of, like, satisfying him on Christmas morning, um, you really just need a new iPhone and, uh, and like, some iTunes cards and, uh, and stuff, in, in like, some new, he got some new Beats by Dre's headphones. And so it's stuff that's very easy to pack to make his Christmas um, ex exactly what he wants it to be. So it's not, it hasn't been a big problem in terms of uh, us. It was just, we've never done this before. Like, just go away. Where we didn't anticipate the problem is our families now hate us. Um, my parents, oh, my, pa my parents got... My mom more than my dad, but still, I think, and then her parents were, and then her grandmother, like one of the we, you know nice things about our, um, you know, our life is that we live around our family. Like my, my brother and my, all my nieces, you know, live 10 minutes from me. My dad lives 10 minutes from me. My mom lives 10 minutes from me. Her mom lives 10 minutes away. And we all uh, live, you know, pretty close to each other. And so we're very used to spending these holidays together and we just up and, uh, decided, you know, we were like, Hey, let's go, let's go skiing for Christmas and like spend Christmas just alone and wake up on Christmas day and not feel like we have to bounce around from one person's house to the next person's house. Cause that's the downfall of like trying uh, downside of trying to, uh, of living around your family is that you're expected to be around each other on Christmas day all day long everywhere. And so <laughs> it, it seemed very relaxing and just nice and like, why not? And, uh, and man, there was some pushback from like, uh, nobody was mean, but it was like, I cannot believe you would leave us on Christmas. And I guess I like, I project my feelings onto other people so much. Like if like one of uh, the, the important figures in our family structure decided to, they had to work on Christmas or go out of town, it wouldn't affect me in any way. I don't really care, but my God. So I just assumed nobody else would care. Um, but God, they cared. And so we, we, we were sort of guilt tripped a little bit, um, at, on, on our way out the door. All right. So a couple things here. Um, because you know what? Why not? We just had just a couple more minutes here to talk about Christmas. One, did you buy like four Christmas trees again? I I I have removed myself from the um, the equation. I don't get involved. But if you're asking whether right now at my home, uh, let me let me actually do a count on it. I think there's there was three or four in our home this year. It's absolutely ridiculous. It, like. Listen, don't tell me. But like, the, here's the good thing: I don't have to be involved in it. So it's like um, I go out of town to like you know the. Um, the champions classic and I come home and there's four, you know, trees up and like, I didn't have to put them up. I won't have to put them back up. She like genuinely finds joy in doing and decorating. So I just let her do it. But the only part that becomes frustrating for me is that, um, we have, we have Christmas stuff up like very, very early. Like even before Thanksgiving, there's like Christmas. Yeah, trees I, I can't get with that. I can't get with it either, Matt, but you got to pick your fights for crying out loud. <laughs> Sam, what are you doing for Christmas? What am I doing? Yeah, man. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm just hanging right? out with. I'm still staying in Los Angeles as opposed to going back to Pittsburgh to see my family. Um, I'm just gonna hang out with the girlfriend's family. I had to had to Amazon gifts all the way back to Pittsburgh for the uh, niece and nephew. Right. Uh, and, oh, that's another uh, great thing. Else. Like I, 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 I got Amazon Prime, like delivering stuff to our um, hotel tomorrow. To our resort mm -hmm. tomorrow, like yeah, yeah, like the Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is my favorite thing in this it's world. The, oh, it's the, trust me, it's, dude. Yep. It, it's my favorite. I don't even do. I don't go to the store for anything anymore. Like you know the little collar straighteners you have to put in shirts. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, yeah, so yeah. like, so like I just I don't know. I just lose things all the time. So I lost those. And uh, you know, in a different time, I would be like. Oh God! I gotta go to the mall or some store to get the. I have to go out in public. Yeah, like, like I don't like doing that. I feel like I'm busy. I'm never too busy to do anything, but I always feel like I'm too busy to like run to the store just to get something like that. And like I was like, all right, I, so I've like ordered five hundred, <laughs> like up from, <laughs> from Amazon Prime, and they're just good. Like they just came to my house, like you know, two days later. Uh, so that was the other thing. Like I was able to like. Um, get get stuff that I wanted shipped to Colorado, and like it's it'll it should be arriving. I have a guaranteed delivery day of uh, the twenty third, so it just meet us. I didn't have to bring it; it just meet us there. All right, and you've never skied before. I've never skied, uh, but you're going to do this in the, like the next forty eight hours. You're going to go on a mountain. Yeah, no, well, like in the next twenty four hours. Like we're we're driving to Telluride tonight, uh, or like this at like really like in a couple of hours from right now as we speak. And um, we spend a little bit more time with her in-laws and her grandfather here, and then we're going to drive 
um, to tell you ride and check in and then just sort of chill tonight, like see the resort and the town and whatever. It looks really, it looks nice. And, uh, and then wake up tomorrow and we are going, uh, skiing. Now Kelly and Aiden have both been skiing before because Kelly's always had family up here and Aiden, our 11 year old, he's come with her, I think once, but maybe twice because in the times that they've usually come, I just fly them up here during basketball season. Like I'd be on the road and I'd fly them here and so I could never really make it, but we carved out time this year. So I've never, I've been to Colorado, Denver and Boulder, but I've, it's been for sporting events. I've never been skiing and I've, I've never, I've never actually put skis on water skis, but not snow skis. So yeah, this is going to be stupid. Yeah. I have also never skied before. So yeah. I'm in the same uh, well, I grew up in Vermont. Skiing is totally, uh, that's my thing, man. So it's going to feel really weird at first, but you know, you're, you're, you're fairly athletic. I mean, you're athletic in a way where like, you're amazing at swinging a wiffle ball and baseball yep. bat. Yep. Um, I, I don't know how, how you would do on a mountain, but it will definitely feel weird because you're going to be <laughs> the, the first time when you go skiing, man, you're going to feel like you have no control and you won't, and you're going to fall. But, um, if you if you're relatively adept at picking stuff up after you know an afternoon's worth of uh, session, you should be able to go down a, a green circle with a little bit of, of confidence and and not totally bail out. But that's uh, that's really cool, man. I, I'm I'm super jealous that you're uh, that you're in a place like Telluride, which is just so terrific. So yeah, I'm looking forward I'm to last, it. I I need some sort of video of you if possible <laughs> doing like I'm not even joking, like. I know it probably won't benefit you to have video of you. Like, I don't even know what kind of outfit you're going to be wearing. I'm sure it's going to oh, be Oh, I bought, I bought all the best. Yeah, I know stuff. exactly what you did. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to look sharp. I'm going to yeah, look sharp at this. Spend $1,500 on a bunch of ski stuff that you'll probably wear five times in your life. But regardless, I need Kelly to take some sort of photo or video of you attempting to do this because, let's face it, um, I and, and, and Twitter and the world in general just needs to see you attempt to do this. We'll get something. I promise you we'll get a, a video uh, or picture or uh, possibly both. All right. Like I said, I got to go to Telluride, so let me get out of here. Uh, everybody have a nice holiday, an awesome weekend. Uh, we will talk again here uh, on Monday. Take care.